If you haven't heard or if you've been around for a while, you know that we're reading through the Bible this year um, as Lutheran Church of Hope, and uh, we started in the New Testament, which is the back half of your Bible, and we started in Matthew, and, and we're going through the Gospels here in the first part of the year. So we've been through Matthew, and now we're into Mark, and we're in the second half of Mark. And I hope, uh, we believe that God's Word is a treasure, we believe that it's a, it's a source of life for us. And these words that we hear every morning, these words that we hear read, the words that you hold there in front of you this morning have power. Not because they're just words, but because the words have power because they point to a person in Jesus that is power. They point to a person in Jesus that is the source of life. And so We'd love for you to follow along today. We're going to be looking up different uh, scripture verses. And so under the chairs, um, on the, the first chair of each row, um, if you're the person that's sitting there, go ahead and just raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, we'd love for everyone to have one of those in your hands if you need one. If you forgot, no problem. There's no shame in that. Um, and if you uh, don't have a Bible and if you need one, you're more than welcome to take that home uh, with you uh, today. That is yours to keep. We'd love to, to have that uh, in your hands. There's something about peeling back all the layers and getting to the heart of the matter. And for us today, getting to the, what, the, what it looks like to get to the heart of the matter and what it looks like to follow Jesus and what this whole Christianity thing is about and spirituality and to get to the heart of, the, of our faith, to get to the heart of worship, to get the, to the heart of our relationship with God, to get to the heart of God. And so what we're going to talk about today is what it looks like when we, when we peel back, when we peel away all those layers of faith and of Christianity and what's at the center, what's at the core is this story of Jesus on the cross. It's a story that hopefully if you're reading through this with the year of the Bible that hopefully you read at the end of Matthew and we're going to see that. You probably read it this past week as you're reading through the last half of Mark, and you're going to see it again in the last half of Luke, and again a few weeks from now, a month or so from now when we go through the Gospel of John. It's the common theme, it's the common thread. All the different Gospels, all four of the Gospels have similar themes, they have similar stories, and each one of them have similar stories and they have different stories, but the one thing that remains the same is this story of Jesus on the cross, and the story of that Jesus didn't stay on that cross, but that he died and he rose again and that the tomb is empty. And that's the common thread that runs through all the Gospels. It's the central story of the Bible. It's the central story of our Christian faith, of our relationship with God, because it's there on the cross that God's love is most profoundly and clearly demonstrated. You know the most famous verse in all of Scripture, for God so loved the world. Because he loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's because of love. Love is the point. And our faith, our relationship with God is fully reliant on this truth that in that God gave us the ultimate gift that anyone could ever give you, their self. And so today we're going to talk about that love that God, that, that Jesus has for us, but we're also going to talk about our response to that love and what that looks like. And so if you're not there already, open your Bible uh, with me to, to Mark chapter 12, the scripture we just heard read for us this morning, and we'll start at verse 28. Mark chapter 12, 28. So it'll be in the second half of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And Gospel basically just means good news. It's the good news because we're talking about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, here on earth. Mark chapter 12, and that's where we're going to be 
for most of today. And so in this passage that we heard read for us this morning, if you look at it, if you look at the context of what's going on, Jesus is hanging out with some of the teachers of the law. He's hanging out with those that think they know everything, that they, they are very, very religious. They have all their ducks in a row and they understand what it looks like to live a life pleasing to God. And so basically the religious leaders of the day are talking with Jesus and they're asking the same question that we just brought up this morning. What does it look like to follow God? What does it look like to respond to who God is? What is at the core of the law? And so they asked Jesus of all the commandments, which is the most important? And it's important for us to understand here, and you might be thinking, okay, well, of all the commandments, so I know there's 10, right? So they're asking, okay, Jesus, pick any number between 1 and 10. What's, 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 the, top, what's the top one out of those 10? But what's important for us to realize is that we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments. In Jesus' day, the, a good Jew, someone that's following God, that's following Yahweh, that's following the law, that's following the Torah, have 613 different laws that they are told to follow. It's not just about the Ten Commandments. There are 613 different laws that get thrown out from here to there. Everything from food to how you should live to relationships to how you spend your days. And so when we're looking at this passage in Mark, we have to remember that, that they're asking Jesus, okay, Jesus, here's this huge funnel of all these laws, of everything what it looks like to live a life that's pleasing to God, and how do you funnel that down? How do you take all those and funnel it down? And what's the one thing, Jesus, if you had to tell us one thing, what would it be? This law handed down from generation to generation. If you had to choose one, what would it be? And so essentially, they're asking... What's at the core? And so the teachers of the law throw Jesus an apple, kind of, and they say, essentially, what's the core? What's the core of our faith? When, when, when everything, what is everything else that we teach based on? What's the center? And so Jesus looks at that and he looks, oh, you know, there's a lot of different layers and there's a lot of different things of what it looks like. But what's at the center? Is anyone else a fan of apple slicers? Do you know what I mean? This is mine. I stole it from my roommate. Apple slicers, okay? If you're a fan of apples, this is the best thing since sliced bread, okay? You can spend a lot of time cutting and, and, and doing all that. But essentially, what Jesus does, instead of taking like a, like a potato peeler or something like that, maybe you've done that with an apple before, instead of taking a knife and spending all the time to cut it because you still have to cut the the center hard part out, right? It's even worse with pears. They have this hard center. And so Jesus just gets right to the point. Notice he doesn't beat around the bush. And what Jesus does, essentially, is he takes out his apple cutter and he says, here's the deal. There's lots of different things that are going on. There's lots of different parts to what it looks like to follow God. And, you know, we could talk about that and we could talk about that and we could talk about that and we could talk about that, and we can get in arguments about that, and you could spend all day thinking about that, and you can debate that, and you can talk about that. But Jesus says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. That is the core. That is what comes through. That's what everything else in your life is based on. That's what it looks like to follow God. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. 
And so let's read that together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's the core. That should always be our focus. That's what matters most when you peel away all the layers. Jesus essentially says, okay, this is the one to get right. This is the one law to really focus in on, and all the others are going to follow. Because when you're loving God with everything that you've got, and, and, and giving that love to others, offering others that same love, you're going to obey the rest of the law. Because it's God's heart, and these laws don't then, they don't just become rules, but they're laws, they're things from someone that you love and delight in. Jesus knew the power of love. And he knew that loving him and loving others could not be separated. They're intimately connected. And so look back with me to the end of this verse, to verse 31, which you've got in front of us. Jesus gave us essentially two things to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others. But if you look at this, Jesus gave us two things to to do, but he calls them one commandment. Ever look at that? There is no commandment greater than these. And so there's two things to do, but they can't be separated. Jesus knows the power of love. Jesus tells us what we should spend our lives doing, but he also gives us the ultimate source for that love. This is a profound, profoundly powerful statement. Jesus is saying, here's what you do, but here's the source. Here's where you're going to get the passion for it, day after day after day. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he first loved us doesn't get any simpler than that. And so Jesus knew that. Jesus, when, when Jesus says that when you love, when you do it with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, you might be thinking, okay, well, I've heard that before. And I, I try to love people and I, and I try to be a nice person. But I'm afraid if we think that way, then we've missed the entire point. Because then we've made this command to love Jesus out to be something that you have to try harder to do. That you're a, a hamster on a wheel and you just have to keep running and running and running and running and running and it's never going to be good enough. I need to try harder. I need to love God more. I need to be a better person. I need to be a better Christian. But that's not what Jesus is saying. With part two, it says that's the source for part one. You can't start with just love, love others. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's why that's first because that becomes source. Part two of this command makes no sense without a deep and personal understanding of part one. We are to love God. Why? Why are we to love God? Out of duty or obligation? Because we're going to get into heaven someday because it's our get out of jail free card? No. It's because there's this story that's throughout all the gospels. It's this most amazing truth. And sometimes when we hear simple truths like not maybe not simple but we hear familiar truths like this over and over it's it's easy for us to just say oh yeah i've heard that before i I think i understand what that means but but this morning i want you to hear this story again i want you to hear the central story in all the gospels again and i want you to listen with fresh ears have you ever thought about what it would be to read the bible again for the very first time? And what would your reaction be if you heard this story? 
this message to you this morning. In the midst of everything that we've done in our lives, God loves us. And in the greatest act of love ever, God had his own son come down, take the form of a man, and be nailed to a cross. Essentially to have railroad spikes nailed through his wrists. God's only son. God says, I'm going to do this for you. God had his own son punished for a sin he did not commit. It's our sin. We're the ones to blame. We're the guilty ones. But Jesus says, I'm going to take all of that on me and be nailed to a cross. Why would he do something like that? It's because he loves you that much. The God of the universe loves you. The one that created everything went through that for you. Sometimes we think, for God so loved the world, but do you ever think that for God so loved you? And put your name in there. For God so loved you. Just stop and think. It feels good to be loved by anyone. But to think that the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe loves you that intensely. Not that he would just come down and give you a note. Not that he would just send a, a sign from heaven. He's nailed to a cross for you. The God of the universe loves you that intensely. And that's incredible. That's a love worth sharing. That's a story that should never get old. But hearing that truth again is not just for those we think, oh, you need to know that because you've never heard, but we need to hear that story again and again for maybe some of us that have been on the journey for some time. Maybe for some of you that have been following Christ for some time and something inside you hears that and says, oh yeah, that's, that's the story. I memorized some verses when I was little. My parents took me to Sunday school when I was little. I, I, I've heard that story before. But I'm guessing if you're saying that this morning, you're also thinking this. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something more to what I'm experiencing in this life. There's got to be more to, to what I'm experiencing now. And what we don't realize is that a lot of times we've lost the source for all our passion. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if I, I wonder if we find that difficult to do because our perception of God gets skewed. And our perception of who God is, this, this radical love that God has for us, the, the kind of God that would create everything, but yet come and send his son to die in our place, we lose our perception of who God is. And I think that sometimes it just becomes common. I was hanging out with some friends uh, recently. We were just hanging out and, and my fiance, she's over at the piano playing the piano and that's what she does and that's what she does to relax and that's what she does to worship God and just kind of relaxing in her own way and we're all just kind of hanging out and eating and, and, and hanging out and it's, it's her way of, of worshiping and I'm sitting by one of my friends that's been sort of a brother to both of us and uh, we're, we're hanging there and he, he just, he's, he's looking over at her and then he turns and he pauses and he looks at me and he goes, dude, isn't that amazing? And I go, what, Tiffany playing the piano? 
And he goes, I'm like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? She's playing the piano. And he said, no, look at her. Isn't that, isn't that just absolutely incredible and gorgeous? This, this woman of God that's worshiping in her own way, isn't that just beautiful? And I, and I kind of stopped for a second. I was a little embarrassed tonight. And I turned, and then I looked back at her again as if I was looking at her for the very first time. As if I'd never seen this woman before in my life. And I walked into this house, and she was over there, worshiping God on the piano. Something so incredible, something so beautiful, a source source of so much love and joy in my life had in one sense become ordinary. Because when you become so familiar with someone, they can become common to you. And those of you that are married or those of you that have a, a really close friend, maybe you know what I'm talking about here. They can become just ordinary, just another person. And my concern is that sometimes we do that with God. We're called to love him with all our our heart, but we end up just loving a concept or an idea of God. Or maybe we just are in love with the gifts of God and not someone like God who has a heart just like us that feels deeply. And so that gospel story that we heard, the good news of God's love can sometimes become, eh, it's okay news, or mediocre news. And the way that we respond to that love, the, the, the kind of love that God demonstrated for us in his son, in Jesus, our response to that love becomes a reflection of our ordinary, common perception of who he is. But instead, we're called to let this story be the source. And when we do that, we start to see a love that God has shown in the person of Jesus and the love that Jesus has for people throughout all these stories, all these gospel stories, is this, this love that we talk about. You hear that word, and love is so commonly misunderstood in our culture. But it's not some wimpy, some soft, some cuddly, just try to be a good person, try to be nice to people kind of love. The kind of love that would nail themselves to a cross, that's radical love. That's intense love. And as Mike talked about last week, you got to let God outside of the box because that's the kind of love that you can't contain. That's the kind of love that one heart cannot fully contain without having to share it with other people. It's deep and it's radical and it's passionate and it burns like fire. And so Christianity, following Jesus, is all about letting that kind of love get a hold of you deep in the center of your being. That's when Mark 12 comes to life. Because you can easily take that verse and say, oh, that's one more thing I have to do. That's one more thing I have to Velcro to the side of my belt and say, there's another thing that I need to remember as I go throughout my various tasks in the day. But not when that love becomes the source. Because when you think about it, and I'm not just talking Christian things here, every single one of us is passionate about something. Every single one of us has placed an ultimate value on something, whether it's your relationship with God, whether it's something else, whether it's a hobby or a relationship, something we love to do. Every single one of us is passionate about something. We place value on people, on things, and, and it's there that we put our time and our efforts and our talents and even our affection. But what has to happen is that there comes a point for every single one of us where that love 
that we've experienced through Jesus becomes real and it becomes personal. That it's not just a thought or an idea. It's no longer a concept. But you begin to understand the love of God is something that's much bigger and something much better than anything else that you've ever experienced. And anything, anything of those other noble pursuits that you have in your life, any of those things that you run after, this is far better than any of those passions. When we encounter a God that is more glorious, that is more beautiful, that is more awesome than anything that I've ever experienced before, that's when Mark 12 starts to get real. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love you and I'm going to share that love with others because there's nothing better. There's nothing more satisfying that I've experienced in this life and there's nothing more that I'm ever going to find. And that becomes the motivation. Because when you're in love, it changes everything. When I was an RA, standing for resident assistant on my floor at college, I, uh, <laughs> we, we lived in a, a, a smaller town. The college was located in a, in a smaller town. And uh, let's just say that when you live in a college in a smaller town, maybe some of you know this, you have to make your own fun. You have to invent things with what you've got. And it's not so much go out and enjoy the, the, the hip-hopping nightlife. You have to find something to do in your dorm sometime, and especially when that dorm is in northern Iowa. And so we invented, the guys and I on my floor, we invented the most creative activity that we could with the limited resources that we had, the famous activity known as mattress tackling. And so what we would do is that we would invite everybody up to our floor, second South Tanner, second floor up, and we would just line the halls. You can see these long halls, and we would just line the halls with people, just on, on every single wall. And so then, one at a time, uh, well, actually what we'd do, we'd set up mattresses, and one mattress we would set upright like this, about three-fourths of the way down on the other end of the hall, and so you'd start down at that end. The other mattress we would put on the floor right behind it to sort of form a 90-degree angle, of course, for padding. For safety, of course. Safety first. And so what we would do is that we would line the halls with people and we would start someone at this end of the hall. And what they would do is they would just run with every... There's no reason for this, just because that's what you do when you're bored and you're in college. And so we set up the mattress and you would start here and we would just send people. And, and, but there was always this rule that there had to be 10 seconds of cheering before, well, excuse me, before they would run. And so we, we, would, we would chant their name again and again and again and again. And they would just get this head full of steam and you could see the smoke coming out of their no, no, nostrils, not really. But they would, they would run with everything that they are and some people would go for power and distance and some people would go for style. And so they would just run with everything that they are. And, uh, and so, um, I don't have a picture of it, but some, you know, some guys would go feet first or head first or side first. They would kind of go for the style points. Other people would run and when he gets there, he wraps his arms around the mattress with everything that he is. The, all the passion that he has at that moment, and he would tackle the mattress, and he would see who could tackle it and lift it and carry it over the other mattress, and who could get it farthest down on the end of the hall. And so being men, we kept score, and we kept distance, and we used strips of duct tape, and we would put them on the wall, and so people would come up to our floor, and they would see like 8 feet 11 inches, or 4 feet 2, and be like, what is that? Mattress tackling, of course. So we would stick these, the duct tape on the walls. And so mattress tackling became quite the thing, uh, quite the, the success, and, and became very famous not only on our floor, but our entire dorm. So we started inviting other resident assistants up, and we would start to do this, and pretty soon it became the talk of the campus. 
And we almost, just about before I graduated, we almost got an official student club formed, a mattress tackling, Waldorf College mattress tackling. It was, it was, the, it was the, the fad, it was the thing to do on campus. And it even got to the point where we got a couple professors to come up. People heard about the passion. People heard about the excitement that we had for it. We got a couple professors to come up. One night, we got the security card to do it. The guy that comes around and locks up in his full outfit with his keys jingling. He might even have his gun on him. I don't know, but he did the mattress tackling. And it was so exciting because other people were catching the excitement. The word was getting out. We couldn't contain mattress tackling to ourselves. It wasn't just about Second South Tanner. It was about the entire college. Word got out. Because that's what Second South Tanner was known for. And I will never forget the passion and the joy people would feel as they just let loose with everything that they had. And it wasn't about their age. It wasn't about what job they had on campus. It wasn't about how silly they looked. It wasn't about who might be watching and what other people might think about them. It was about the fact that it felt so good to be a part of something bigger than yourself that you could run towards with everything that you are. That's why it was successful. And so Second South Tanner, my floor, became known for our passion and our joy. What are you going to be known for? What are we going to be known for? In the end, what does success look like for Lutheran Church of Hope City Branch? What does success look like for us as a church? Some might say, it's just, we just pack this place out and it's purely about numbers. Let's just get as many people with a pulse in here that we can and we can jack up our intend- attendance. Other people would say, well, it's, it's probably, we, we need to be the most popular and trendy church in town. That would be, that would be the goal. Other people might say it's, it's about having just a flawless presentation and everything goes right here on Sundays. But in our scripture today, Jesus answers that question for us. What are you going to be known for? What does success look like for you personally? And what does success look like for us as a church? And Jesus answers that question for us. Love God with everything that you are and love others. A church that is madly in love with God and can't help sharing that with others. And just like Second South Tanner, to be known for the passion and the joy that we found. To be known what we're passionate about, to be known what we're for rather than for what we're against. A church that loves not just in words, but in deeds. A church that doesn't get so busy going through the motions, playing church, holding meetings, holding gatherings, all the while never really living that adventure that Jesus calls us to of really loving people for who they are. It's an adventure and it's a challenge that we're issued today of loving people that aren't like us, loving people that don't live in your neck of the woods, loving people that don't even like us, loving people that don't look like us, loving people and moving into those places in our lives and into those situations that are outside of our comfort zone. At the end of the year, we decided to make mattress tackling t-shirts, of course, for our floor. And I still wear it from time to time even though it's getting a little bit older. Because we could not contain the joy and the passion that we had. It's Waldorf College mattress tackling. And the joy spread. And the passion spread. And everybody on campus wanted, wanted one of these t-shirts. Even, even people that had never been there. And even people that didn't get their name on the back. 
They wanted one. They didn't care because they had heard about it and it was the talk of the campus. It was a source of joy and passion for us. But it would have been different if somebody would have just said, hey, I heard about this cool thing that's going on. Everybody's doing it. Here, have the t-shirt. And I would have said, oh, that's great. I wish I could have been there. It's not a lot of use to me. I would have missed out. It's having been there, it's having actually done it that makes the difference. And I pray that we're a church that takes Jesus' words in Mark 12 to heart and puts them into action. I pray that we're a church that lives out the adventure of the Christian life and loving others with God's love and not just talking about it and saying, oh yeah, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Because sadly... Sometimes we live that way. Sometimes we, we, we talk a good talk and we say, that's, that's great. I've heard about it. I've got the t-shirt. But are we really doing it? When our passion finds a purpose, that's when the Christian life starts to get exciting. And I praise God for the many ways that we as a church are already living that out. The way that you love each other, I see it. The way that you love each other in your small groups, the ways that you are inviting your friends and your neighbors to be a part of our community, the way that we've befriended the refugee community here in Des Moines, um, the way that we're, we're doing this dinner at, at Freedom for Youth, just the way that we're loving people simply to love people. Not with an agenda, not to get anything from them, but I pray that our growing love for God would be the source and the motivation that fuels that even more. Not just to get noticed, but to love your friends and your family and your kids and your spouse when nobody else is around. And that love would be evident in our lives, not in the big things, but in the little things too. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul lists off this big long list of, this is what love looks like, and may that be true of us. That when nobody else is around and nobody else is looking, that you are patient, and that you are kind, and that you are not boastful, and that you are not proud. But that doesn't come from trying harder, it comes from the source of the passion that we found And so this morning, if you hear anything, hear this. You've got to remember where this kind of love comes from. It's from a heart that is overflowing. It's from a heart that can't contain the love that you found. Because it's it's possible for us, and I don't want us to fall into this this danger and this trap. It's possible as us for us to be followers of Jesus, to be servants of for Jesus to run from activity to activity to Bible study to Bible study to small group to small group, from church thing to church thing, and never really fall in love with the God that we're serving. And that's the danger. And so my question this morning for you is, do you know the one that you're called to love with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength? Do you know him? Do you know his heart? And please don't hear this message, this command from Jesus to love him and think that's one more thing that I have to do. Jesus knew that when you're loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, it doesn't just rearrange your schedule. It doesn't just rearrange your priorities. It rearranges you. And that changes everything. I want to close this morning with a story about a man named Tom. And Tom lived in a large town where there was a lot of churches in this one area, and, but because of a difficult past that he had and many failures and setbacks that he had, Tom never really thought about stepping inside of a church building. 
he lived alone for a lot of his life, and he was known kind of around town as pretty much a social outcast. He had never been very religious, but one day, after many years of searching, seeking, and, and trying to do his own thing and trying to live life his own way, he decided to go and hear what God had to say. And the best place he knew to go was a church. Christians were all about love, he had heard. So he went to the nicest looking church that he could find with big stained glass windows and, 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 and pristine entryways and, and, and windows and a large cross inside. Little did Tom know that he was walking into the most distinguished church in the city, known for being a very formal church where everything stayed on time, everything looked proper, and there was absolutely no interruptions. Little did he know. And so one day in the middle of a service in this large sanctuary in a packed house, a man from the back started to walk in with tattered jeans and long hair and this out-of-style suit coat that was all that he could find. And so he started walking in the back, back aisle of the church down the middle row like this, and the ushers that were in the back didn't quite notice him at first. And, uh, but then as he starts to make his way down the aisle, people in their chairs on either side of the row start to notice, and they start to whisper. They start to whisper to each other, and everybody soon realizes, it's Tom. What could he possibly be doing in here? And soon, Tom started to get closer and closer to the front, and people were getting more and more nervous. And by this time, the pastor had actually stopped his message, and people were just chattering, and all you could hear was mumbling in the crowd. What is going on? What's going to happen? And pretty soon, Tom, not noticing anything, just walks to the front of the church, and he sees that large cross, and he sees the pastor talking, and he sits down right in front of the pulpit. Not even in a pew, and he just sits down, and he crosses his legs, and he stares, and he looks up at that cross, and then he turns his eyes to the pastor. And everybody's wondering, what's going to happen next? And just at that time that he sat down, the head usher for that day, who happened to be the president of the entire congregation, a well-known, formal businessman in that town, known to be very strict on church etiquette, starts walking down the middle aisle, following Tom, and Tom sits down. And pretty soon, the president of the church gets closer and closer to Tom. Everybody's whispering, everybody's wondering, everybody's just waiting to see what's going to happen, to see how exactly he's going to get out of this situation, how he's going to get Tom out of here so we can move on with our church service. And little by little, the usher gets closer and closer, and the president of the congregation looks down at Tom and Tom, with his tattered jeans and his eyes fixed on the cross, then turns around and gazes into the eyes of the head usher. As the head usher places his hand on his shoulder, looks sternly into his eyes, and then kneels down and sits right next to Tom, cross-legged. And they finish listening to the rest of the message together. We are able to sit down with those that need to experience God's love in a real way because the God of the universe came down to us and showed us what real love is all about and where real love begins. Who's going to experience the life-changing love of God 
through you today.